Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Edelberg. And thanks again for joining me here at the back of the range. I'm your host, Ben Adelberg, and this is episode 107. Well, it's President's Cup week, and just in case you have buried yourself in a bunker for the last few days, go ahead and remove any sand that might be in your way and get ready for a fun weekend of golf. You know, I've seen, as I'm sure you all have seen, the slow-mo replay of Patrick Reed's sand removal, whether purposefully or inadvertently, twice while addressing a shot out of a waste area at the Hero World Challenge. I've also seen the footage from the 2015 Hero of him doing pretty much the same thing. Is he a cheater? Was it an accident with no ill intent? Well, only one person really knows the truth, and it's not me. It's probably not you either. Make no mistake, I'm not defending Patrick Reed, but I doubt that we'll ever receive any additional details from Reed on this issue, so I've kind of moved on. I haven't moved on from honor or integrity or respecting the game, but yeah, I'm glad play has started and I'm hopeful that the matches will be tightly contested in the true spirit of the game. So as I stated last week, I did a Cyber Monday deal on Instagram to blow out some of the trucker hats and towels. Still have some left over. If you didn't see the deal, if you didn't see the deal, go to the website, thebackoftherange.com, and you'll see in the upper right-hand corner, holiday deal. So click there. For 25 bucks, you can get a hat, a couple of towels, and a ball marker. Just trying to get this stuff out of here so I can get new merch for 2020. Also, before getting to this week's episode, you know how I always mention to leave a review in Apple Podcasts? Well, there are 99 reviews posted as of today. So, the first person that leaves a review will be the 100th. I'll send you a towel, and I'll throw in some other swag for you as well. Just another way of me thanking you for your support. And remember... If you keep listening, I'll keep putting out episodes. So this week we visit with another outstanding mid-ambitor competing on the national circuit, Patrick Kristovich from New Orleans, Louisiana. Patrick has had quite the adventure in golf and has seen it from all sorts of angles. He played his junior golf and did quite well. He went to college but uh, didn't play collegiately. We'll explain that. He was a club pro for a bit. Then he played professionally. And then finally he had his amateur status reinstated in 2008. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Just another guy that played professionally and then targeted the amateur circuit to take advantage of the everyman trying to compete. Well, not, not exactly. In fact, Patrick didn't really know much about the amateur side of the game and didn't know what was waiting for him after he ended his pro career. To say he learned quickly would be a bit of an understatement. He's a Louisiana State Amateur Champion, a three-time Louisiana Mid-Amateur Champion, he was able to capture the Coleman Invitational at Seminole, double-digit USGA appearances. You know, we spoke about his success in the U.S. four ball with Secretariat. Yes, you will learn who he calls Secretariat. And since he's a real estate agent, I even asked him about the sustainability of country clubs over the next decade. Kind of an interesting topic, and he was the perfect person to ask. Before we get started, special thanks to the Louisiana Golf Association for helping put this episode together with Patrick. If you're in the state of Louisiana and you're looking for a game, looking for competition, check them out. Go to their website, lgagolf.org. I'll put that link in the show notes as well. So let's get started. Patrick, welcome to the back of the range. How are you? 
I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's an honor to still be relevant in the golf world. Oh man. Everyone, so. everyone says the same thing. And then you start <laughs> looking at, start looking at the resumes of what some of these guys that have been on the podcast have accomplished. And it's like, come on, dude. So, yeah. um, well, you're, you're following, uh, you're following a pretty big episode for us around here. Uh, Serge Hogue, uh, just yep. uh, was episode one Oh four, uh, caddy at Pine Valley, caddy at Seminole, who is, quickly becoming a cult sensation here at the back of the range <laughs> but you can contribute a couple stories because you've spent some time around surge you're you know you are a coleman invitational champion yeah. at seminole and you've you've played the crumb cup uh, at pine valley and you've spent a lot of time uh, around him because of uh, who he caddies for scott harvey yeah. so um yeah. before we get into your you know starting the game and uh, where you've weaved back and forth from, from the pro ranks to the amateur ranks, you got to share a Pine Valley or you got to share a Seminole story with me about your experiences there. I think uh, Skip said it best. You, you, you go in very intimidated and you realize it's, it's just a gathering of guys you want to hang out with. Um, I mean, I, I think that when I walked on the, the property at, uh, at Pine Valley, I was so taken aback by the whole thing. And then you, you start getting to know everybody and you meet more and more people that have been there for so many years and they start showing you around. And I mean, it's just a, it's such a great golf setting. Um, Coleman, the same way I'd, I'd only played it once before I played the tournament seminal. Um, and the same thing, you walk in and you see this pool sitting there by the clubhouse and you're like, what is, what's the deal with this thing? Does anybody use the pool? Are we going to get to use the pool? But apparently you don't use the pool. That's a big no-no. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess stories from uh, Coleman, all of them revolve around just carnage and triple bogeys and, <laughs> and quadruple bogeys and how it happened and how to avoid it, but you can't avoid it. And, you know, I've played a lot of, I've played a lot of rounds out there with guys that had really good rounds going and, and just a simple, you know, bounce one way or the other turns a, you know, 67, 68 into a 74 pretty quickly. Wow. Um, it's just, it's just happened so fast, but I love both those places. And as I think we talked about, uh, before the, the other day, I'm very golf ignorant, meaning I didn't know about this stuff until I became an amateur again. So it was a very fast learning curve for me to, to know where to play, what to play in and how to get in. And, um, just, you know, getting invited was, was such an honor. And then winning the Coleman was beyond my wildest expectations. So it's, uh, I gotta be honest, it's fun walking in that locker room and seeing, uh, seeing my name up above the bar that, that never gets old. I, I can only imagine that that must be a nice welcome sight every time you get back down to South Florida and yes. and see that. Well, uh, let's not skip over some of the details. You are, you are a real estate agent out of new Orleans, Louisiana, and we're going to get into some new Orleans stuff. Cause I've been there several times and I know Perfect. you're, I know you're a lover of, uh, of well i mean hell if you're in that town you gotta like to have a good time so i gotta ask you a little bit about that but um how did you get into playing golf i know you attended mississippi state didn't play on the college golf team so i gotta ask about a little bit of your transition into (laughs) the professional ranks because yeah i know it's a little bit different than what most people might think so yeah before we go there how who interests you in the game of golf to start out uh, both my parents played and were growing up. 
I was the youngest of three. So my brother played a lot. Uh, my sister could have been great if she wanted to. She's an amazing athlete. Um, and I was just there. I mean, they had to put me somewhere. So it, it, between that and ski school, I never knew how old I was. We always had to lie about my age just to get me into the camps. Okay. So, I mean, I was, I was six years old for probably, you know, at least three years. Um, and they just kept throwing me in, throwing me in and with the bigger kids and fell in love with it. We were known locally at our home club, New Orleans country club. We would play on the weekends. It didn't matter. Rain, snow, which we never really got, but cold weather, rain, we were out there always playing golf. So, uh, played a lot with my dad, played a lot with my mom and my brother and just loved it. You know, it was the thing to do. We had, we had a blast doing it. What was kind of like the, um, you know, you've played, I'm assuming, junior golf through the Louisiana Golf Association. I know you're involved yeah. with them now playing a lot of events, but what mm-hmm. was it like in Louisiana? You know, I know LSU and you think of some of the people that have come through there and, and other schools, and, but I don't, you know, you don't necessarily think of Louisiana as a golfing hotbed. So what, what was the junior golf experience like? The junior golf, when I was growing up, we had definitely had some good players. Uh, I think back in the day when, when David Toms and, and, you know, Kelly Gibson, Tommy Brennan, uh, those guys were, their generation was, I think, better. Uh, golf slowed down dramatically as time went. And after Katrina, you know, we, we lost a lot of our golf. Uh, Kelly Gibson's doing an amazing job with his foundation, bringing junior golf back and doing a, a very good job of it. Uh, a lot of good young players coming out of the state now, but I, I feel like I was in kind of a lull. Um, we did have a lot of active, you know, New Orleans golf association tournaments and it's, it's about 20 kids showing up and a guy in a car just telling you to tee off, you know, it wasn't overly organized, but it, it got the job done. And I just fell in love with the competition of it. Um, it was kind of just what I was sort of known for is being the guy, the blonde haired kid that played golf. I enjoyed that aspect of it. I got to meet a lot of my dad's friends. So, you know, he's a 10 to 12 year old playing golf with these, you know, 30, 40 year old men. It's kind of cool. It's, it's a different thing. And I, I, I could beat them every once in a while and it just, it just kind of took off. So really enjoyed it. Who's, who's the guy from that that circle when you played as a kid that you still keep in touch with that just kind of maybe maybe not so much your dad or your mom, but maybe like the, you know, the guy at the club that, you know, could sneak you a beer or just, you know, <laughs> that sort of guy. You know who I'm talking about. You know his yeah, name right now. Well, Pepe Colomez is, is, is his name, and he's, he's kind of the leader of the bunch, and uh, they have a, a table in the men's locker room that these guys take over. It's a huge round table. And they've etched in it table of knowledge and the, the knowledge is not exactly knowledge. It's the table of BS. I mean, it's sure. just a constant barrage of, of ridiculousness, but I mean, every time I see the guy, you got to give him a hug and he's, he's out there chipping and putting almost every night. He was a guy and it, it was guys like that, that, that were nice to me and brought me in and wanted to teach me. He would go play nine holes with me and, and, if I do something stupid, he'd, he'd advise me on not just golf swing. I could do that, but how to play golf. You know, he was a what? He's one of those guys that led the U.S. Open for a couple minutes. Okay. Um, when he qual, or excuse me, senior U.S. Open, I believe. Uh, when he qualified for it, he was like first group off, made par, type thing. But right. uh, 
always a good player locally and uh, just respect the heck out of the guy. And he, he helped drive that. And the, the interesting story about my parents, um, dad got down to about a seven or eight handicap as when we were kids. Mom was a strong seven, maybe a six. Uh, so competition was definitely there. And I think dad let me win when I was 13 or 14. He let me beat him. I don't know if I beat my mom well until well into probably high school. Wow. You know, early high school years. She was not giving up the reins on that one. She fought and fought and fought. Um, so it's, I've kind of carried over that mentality a little bit. It's, you know, hopefully with my kids, I, I would love to let them win to make them feel good, but I think I'm going to hold off because I want to keep the pride a little bit longer. No, absolutely. Um, I'm curious, you know, as I alluded to, you attended Mississippi State University and, yeah. and you know, people that would look at your amateur resume, the fact that you did play professionally for a while, they're going to immediately assume that you played college golf at Mississippi State, which you didn't do. Instead, you mm-hmm. entered the professional golf management program. So my question is this. How do you not play college golf and instead <laughs> say, I want to enter a program that's going to put me in a position in a career path where I'm not going to get to play a lot of golf. Yeah, true. Well, at the time I didn't know I wasn't going to get to play any golf. Gotcha. That was a, yeah. But, uh, you know, again, I just, I never really followed amateur golf growing up. And in, in high school we play, I never played AJGA. We just played some golf state stuff, which was a mini version of AJGA, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, but I never really, knew what it would take to, or never followed much of college golf at the time. Um, so when I started looking at colleges, I didn't have much of a resume. No coaches were looking at me. Uh, didn't have anybody locally really to advise me on it. So we didn't have a lot of local college players in New Orleans. So, you know, I just decided I was going to go to college and try to walk on. Uh, golf management program made a lot of sense to me just because I love the game. Uh, as part of the business school, everything was kind of adding up, um, got there and was ready to walk on. And, the the coach said, basically, good luck, boys. I'm not taking any of you. Hope you play well at the walk on tournament. So that's really, you know, that is also something that is not unique to your experience. I've heard that yeah. so many times where it's almost like the coach has to have some sort of a day where he lets people come out there. But he, yeah. but he says it. He's like, yeah, I'm not taking any of you. And again, I didn't – okay, I was a decent high school player. I didn't know how to play golf yet still. I mean, I was still just hitting it as hard as I possibly could, had no practice routine, and just kind of, you know, things just worked out. And I'd win a few tournaments, and I won uh, several of the, the golf management. We had our uh, – obviously, everybody was playing golf. We had tournaments – throughout the year and I was fortunate to win a lot of those and then got into you know worked full-time at a a club called Richland in Nashville Tennessee gorgeous Nicholas course out there Um, started playing section events saw that I could compete there always had a drive to man I'd love to try professional golf Um, and uh, some members got some money together and said, all right, here's your shot. And so I was probably 25 or 26 at the time, um, moved down to a ranch outside of Orlando and did a winter series and, and a, a full season. 
on Hooters tour and, uh, you know, life happened a few injuries, a couple other things happened. And that was it for me. I decided I wanted to make money. Cause I think I was like a hundred, 105th on the Hooters yeah, that money s- list. And that doesn't do it. No, before, <laughs> so I'm sure you have plenty of Hooters golf stories because who, you know, the Hooters tour, not to over romanticize the, you know, the developmental tour route that, that a lot of people have mm-hmm. to take to get it to play professionally. But it seems like that was the last developmental tour where you can actually make some money and not just pray yeah. to break even. I have to go back really quickly uh, to the PGM program. What do you still use today that you learned in the PGA program? Like how good are you at folding sweaters? I'm amazing at folding shirts. I do it every time I walk into a shop. And my number one thing is all the arms that come off of the, the display racks that have hangers on them. Yeah. I always move them to the end so that I don't hit my shoulder on that rack walking through the golf shop. Gotcha. Everybody pushes them to the inside. I pull them back out. and I, I can't help myself walking through retail stores and fixing shirts. It is ingrained in my skull. We had a, a great um, director of golf at, uh, at Richland and the head pro. Both of them were customer service guys. Uh, you know, you show up an hour to 30 minutes before the first tea time, everything's ready, Right. you know, just make sure that members want for nothing. And, uh, you know, so now I, I, as I travel, I see it in my home course, you know, I, I sometimes do the same thing, but I cut them a break because they'd be annoyed at me if I did it every day. So, so if I wanted to really get under your skin, I could call up the, uh, the assistant pro on the manning the phones in the pro shop of a golf course. You're about to head to, to play a tournament. I can just say, all right, destroy the pro shop, screw oh, up, yeah. screw up the folding, have some stuff looking terrible. And you would walk in there and you're saying you'd probably have a seizure and wouldn't be able to break 80. I would turn around and walk right back out. Oh, okay. So, so you're just, you're just, le- you're just leaving. Okay. Gotcha. I got enough OCD issues that, uh, yeah, messy shop, messy display. I don't have time for that. Okay. I'm out. Uh, I'm out. Perfect. <laughs> um, so, all right. So that's good to know. I'm going to store that one away. Um, there you go. What about lessons? The lesson T what is I mean, <laughs> the horror stories from the assistant pro when you get that lesson where you just got to work with someone where it doesn't matter what you do. It's bad. I mean, I've had previous guests that have gotten hit in the leg with a shank and oh, yeah. getting hit in the head with a, with a backswing. For those people that are that are actively working on their game that need to realize that teaching pros are people too, um, <laughs> you know, what, what do you say to those people? Like, here's how bad it, it can get. I mean, it, the number of times I wanted to hand a guy a tennis racket, but then knowing he probably couldn't even swing that either. Okay. Um, where you just learn patience. Uh, the best thing you can hear in January from one of your students is I've been reading golf digest and golf magazine all winter long. I think I've figured it out. Oh, I got to sign up for a lesson package. This is my year. I'm going to practice. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And just the, the cash register is ringing in your brain. You know, he's, he's going to be out, you know, 10 lesson package. Sure. Let's go out. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, couldn't, couldn't make a first serve if he had to probably couldn't play ping pong, but he wants to be good at golf. I'm like, let's go. That's awesome. 
I'm here to teach. And then by and then by, and then by February, you don't see that guy anymore, of course. Oh no, the, the, uh, sometimes, but yeah, okay. usually they give up on that plan. They're also going to work out and lose 12 pounds too, right? Hey, same uh, same thing. We're all going to win the lotto. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so so Hooters tour, so that your your members uh, at the club get some cash together. You go chase the dream. You're on the Hooters tour. Mm-hmm. You know, injury, life happens, things like that. Um, I mean. Look, there's so many guys out there chasing this, and you did it, but do you sometimes just look at that and say, what in the hell was I thinking? Or do you look back and say, hey, I'm glad I tried it? Or, like, the numbers just don't add up. No, the the numbers never add up, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. I look back, I mean, that was the, I think, 06 season, and some of the guys that, some of my best friendships and longest lasting friendships come from, from that time. I mean, you're in a, you meet guys very quickly and you know, you, you, you get your group of friends and you're, you're traveling site to site, breakfast, practice round. You know, you hope you get paired on their waves so you can do something. And sometimes three to four guys a room. I mean, it's, it's at the suburban lodge. It's, it's definitely not romantic. Um, Right. You make a cut, and I would go. I would switch from the the dreary inn, and I would go to like a comfort suites. Whoa! To have a nice night's sleep every once in a while, maybe even get internet, which we didn't really couldn't find very often back then. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Nick Gillum is is probably one of the one of the guys I became closest with out there. Um, yeah, you name them, guys that are all over. Some guys that are still playing uh, out on tour, and you're watching their career. It's kind of fun to say I was with them when, and you know, it's it's uh the the one name that made me really realize that I was in the wrong place was Teddy Potter. Oh yeah, um, yeah. We I was there for one of his seasons where he had just come off missing most of his cuts, if not all of them, that year on on uh whatever the Nike Web corn fairy tour was at the time right and he comes back out and again golf ignorant guy i didn't know who he was everybody out there knew who he was and he shoots some like 27 or 28 under this course i think in auburn uh sets a a scoring record where they actually host a web event at the time and i kind of looked and i think i was a couple under i looked at the guys i was with i was like "Eh, I, i can't do that there's there's no chance so that uh that was one of the two moments that made me say, "No moss. Let's uh, let's go start living a real life and figure it out." I, there's nothing better than than a guy that can shoot the scores like that. That, and I'm sure you'll understand where, what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. There's nothing better than a guy that can shoot those ridiculous numbers that does not look like someone that can shoot those ridiculous numbers. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean. He's is well. You've talked about this guy a million times. Paul Simpson is the oh yeah the number one. I mean, you you walk up to Paul in the range and you're like, all right, let's. I've heard the legend. Let's see it. And he does it. I mean, it's yeah. it's awesome. A- athletes, all athletes have a different shape. I've I've had that shape for a long time. And, <laughs> you know, it, it, we do what we can. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so you, you shut it down on the pro ranks, you get your amateur uh-huh. status back, you're reinstated in 2008. And you, like you said, so you know nothing about the amateur circuit. Nothing. You don't know anything about it. So who was one of the first people that you got to know, the first person you got to know that, that kind of 
you know, showed you the ropes of like, okay, so there's the USAM and US Midam, and here's where yeah. and here are the tournaments. Like, because I think a lot of people that you're going to see more and more reinstated amateurs and more people that may not know, like, you know, there are these amazing tournaments out there that you can play these fantastic courses. Who was yeah. one of the guys that took you under his wing and said, "All right, come with me. Let me show you what to do." <laughs> well, there were there were two, uh, well, three really. Um, two you know, legends, mid-am legends in the state, Tommy Brennan and, and Grady Brain. Um, Tommy introduced me to Grady, but I asked Tommy a lot. You know, I said, Tommy, do you ever play in the Southern Am? Do you ever play in this? Do you ever play in that? And Tommy was great enough to, to tell me, you know, what he has done, which ones I should look for and, and whatnot. And very early, uh, I qualified for a, a Southern Am at Shoal Creek. Um, I think it was may have been 09 or something like that. And I'm on the range and I've got my, I had Adidas shoes left over from when I was a professional, uh, a mixed bag of golf clubs, uh, an old Nike glove that was literally brown at this point. I mean, I'm scrapping together whatever stuff I could at the time. And I hear this voice on the back of the range saying, basically you look like hell and it's it's nick gillum he was with Footjoy at the time oh yeah that's and, awesome and same thing i you know i just i hadn't seen him since i left the hooters tour really and uh we just kind of rekindled that week and he was nice enough to get me a couple pair of shoes and some gloves and it all kind of started rolling forward from there he he gave me a lot of advice on where to go he knew a lot of the good contacts and uh from there, you every every tournament you go to, you meet somebody new, and you're on. You know, even to this day, I'll, I'll play in tournaments, and guys will ask me, "What do I play in? What should I start looking to play in?" And I'll I'll throw their names out to to different tournament directors and whatnot. Not not saying my word counts for anything, right. but um, I, I'm happy to help wherever I can, and that's what this like this group does for each other. It's kind of fun. Uh, I was talking to skip just the other day about another golf tournament. I may want to, to play in. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just a, it's an interesting group of friends that came together because of a silly little obnoxious game. And we're probably closer than we are with our high school friends yeah, or college friends. Well, because you share the same, you know, that's kind of when, you know, for people listening to the podcast, you share this obsession with golf. And then also I'd imagine you guys can share more because you're at that level where you, you, you want to compete against each other, but you also share the same passion. So like a common argument or or about maybe mid amateur golf for reinstated amateurs is mm-hmm. like, hey, these guys used to play for money. It was their livelihood. <laughs> you know, they got to feed yeah. their families. How the hell did these guys really get their heart rate up for a trophy and a $500 pro shop credit? So to that, what would you say? I mean, if you're not puckering, don't tee it up. If you're not afraid to, to do something terrible off the first tee box, then – I don't see any point in playing. All right, I'm gonna get that. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna get that on a T-shirt. Let me sure. Okay, if you're not puckering up, yeah. don't tee it up. Got it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I can't tell you the last time I've teed up in a golf tournament and not been nervous. On it's not only the first tee shot; it's the first putt. You know, you just gotta you gotta get through it, and then something good happens. You're like, all right, here we go. We're off. You know, it, it's it's just the way I operate, I think you have to have a little, I wouldn't call it fear necessarily. It's, it's, it's a lot of the adrenaline, the excitement of doing it 
And especially when you start playing well and have some success, then that you just, it gets even more and more. You're like, all right, I've beat these guys before I should beat them again. Let's do this again. Let's keep going and going. And as I've, uh, as I've gone, I've learned that maybe I can't beat them as easily as I, as I thought I could anymore. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I love that aspect. Yeah, it, it's fun. It, there's always a different challenge. If I'm 34th going into the final round, I'm going to think, all right, I know I got to shoot 66, 67 to get in that top 15 number, you know, and I, you just got to have that little bit. The second I lose that, I'm on the four ball tour and I'm, I'm done with, with uh, competitive golf. But as long as I have that drive, I'm going to keep going and, you know, I love these guys we play with. You want everybody to do well. I'm, I congratulate my friends when they win. Naturally, I want to be the guy holding the trophy, but if somebody else wins, great for them. You know, pulling for you, I'm happy for them. It means what they're doing is working, and uh, yeah. that's just kind of the, the group we've gotten together. If, if there's a crisis in somebody's home situation, we try to get together and do what we can for them. It's, yeah. uh, it's amazing the, the connections you make from the game of golf, guys that you never would have met otherwise in different parts of the country that are willing to help even people they don't know, like your own friends from home. You know, it, it's, you just reach out. Oh, I know a guy out in San Francisco. Let me give him a call. He might be able to set you all up here, stuff like that. And it's, yeah. it's all because, you know, made a few extra putts. So, I mean, you, you're, I'm looking at some of the things you've been able to do on the amateur side, you know, obviously mentioned winning the Coleman winning, you know, winning the Tim McQuana cup and Birmingham and all these, and now we're not even talking about USGA things. So of all these incredible places you've played, Pine Valley, Seminole, um, you know, if you had a chance to talk to a handful of the guys that are toiling on mini tours right now and explain to your golf schedule and what you get to do, how many, how many of them are you think you're, they're going to be like, man, I'm in the wrong business. I got to go chase that mid-am life. It, it's, it comes up often. Uh, there's a, a few guys that I'll still text, uh, you know, I think Sam Burns had his first win, uh, was it last year? And I texted Sam, I was like, look, but it's going to take you forever to be a mid-am if you keep playing like this. You're never going to get back out here with us. You know, you're going to be a pro forever. Um, it, there's a, uh, David Toms' son, uh, Carter, I've gotten to know over the years, just playing and stuff. And he, uh, I asked him what he's doing when he's done playing. And now Carter's playing a lot better than the first time I met him, but you know, he kind of jokes about, I can't wait to be a mid-am. And you'd be amazed how many of these college players that I'm fortunate enough to play with in these tournaments, Southern Am, you know, USAMs and stuff. And some of them just don't want to go through the, the, the gauntlet of the, the mini tours. And, and they just want to come, they want to get a chance to play Seminole and Pine Valley and, and Birmingham and, and some of these, and Timaquana, some of these amazing courses we get to play every year. Um, I mean, you look at the lineup, if you include now the courses that the four ball gets to and, uh, oh, yeah. Philly and the mid am yeah. and everything. Yeah. I mean, come on, this is the getting to spend a week out at or 10 days playing wing foot a couple of years ago for the four ball. I mean, we're just laughing every time we walk into that locker room that we, you know, we get rights to it for the week and then keep winning. You stay out there longer. I mean, yeah, you, you can't beat it. Uh, so, are, so would you say it's fair that, you know, obviously you're playing for trophies. I mean, pro shot uh -huh. credits don't mean anything, but you're playing, you're playing for trophies, but are you almost also just 
trying to get to these courses just to check them off your list? I mean, is that is that also a, a draw as well? Uh, I mean, yeah, it, certainly. I mean, you want to play well early so you get invited early in your career, and, and you, you eventually you eventually get invited to the top yeah. events. But it's at first, I guess I could have sort of thought of it as checking the box, like I'll get to play, you know, one of these courses done. But after you do it you really want to win on that golf course. Yeah. Okay. Like you want to be able to feel some pride. Everybody, every time somebody mentions that golf course, you're not a member, never get a chance to be a member, but you're like, wow, you know, I, I won something there. And, and it, it just, I don't know. It's, it's a little bit of pride or even not necessarily winning, just competing on some right. of these courses. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a cool thing that I, I never thought I'd do because the course is, you know, no offense to the Hooters Tour 06 schedule, but uh, <laughs> it wasn't. Well, I mean, this it's, this is the first time that the Drury Inn has been mentioned on this podcast, <laughs> but and and I know exactly what you're talking about. I've stayed yeah. I've stayed in some beaters uh, uh, before that you're just like, man, I should have brought my own sheets. But uh, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but so you mentioned four ball, and I I got to ask you a couple of questions on four ball because you okay. you know you've had some tremendous success playing. Um, you know, the international four ball, you've partnered with Scott Harvey, you've partnered with uh -huh. Eric Rank, who, who just won the Western Am this year. But uh, before I get to that, I know I, we, we've kicked around this little topic of pro shop credit. Uh, you're, <laughs> you're a veteran. What is the veteran move with pro shop credit? Oh, I mean, it's if I can't find Christmas gifts for my wife in there, it's the essentials. I don't need golf balls. I don't need clubs. You know, you buy some of the fun stuff, sure, but I mean, I'll buy the the, the expensive underwear. I'm buying wow. anything that's comfortable. I don't need golf stuff. Gotcha. Uh, range okay. Range Finder was a big one. Range Finders I mean, are good. Every every I had a new one every year because not all the events offer shop credit, but a few of them did. And um, yeah, and now actually, there's one event where it kind of it's reloaded my uh, blazer collection in the oh, in the God. closet. So uh, they give out a lot of cat, a lot of shop credit. So Peter Millar come my way. There you go. There you Once go. Um, all right. So let's talk four ball. You, you've, you know, you've partnered with Garrett Rank at the U.S. Four Ball. You've made multiple. I think you made about three. Uh, you know, made the quarterfinals. I believe three consecutive times. Um, you know, just yeah, semis, semis, then quarters. The so three years we did it. Yeah. So you've had tremendous success with him. Um, Talk to me about how these four ball partnerships form. Is it just like, hey, what are you doing for this? Do you need a partner? Uh, you know, how how do some of these four ball partnerships form? How do how have you found success with certain people? And maybe, you know, examples of how you have not had success and had to you know break up with a partner. Like, can you walk yeah. me through a little bit about that? Sure. Um, Garrett and I met at at Birmingham. Had we actually ended up sharing a room together at a, at a host's house, um, two twin beds. And there's probably six or eight other guys in the house. Uh, it actually, that group of friends has stayed together and still play practice rounds together. It's pretty remarkable. We still talk to each other, but, um, yeah, Garrett and I play, we might even played together that year, hit it off real well. Both have the same kind of competitive drive, um, and it worked out that we we're both in the top 400 at the time. So, which means we'd be exempt. Yeah. And try, that's probably the biggest hurdle with most players is trying to find out where and when you can qualify. Uh, 
together if possible. Uh, sometimes it's just not. Uh, last year I had to go out to the qualifier by myself because Garrett had a game the night before in Pittsburgh and the next day was in Montreal and there was no way to physically get there from where he could have played maybe eight holes if he tried to fly to New Orleans for the qualifier. Um, so you did the so, qual- wait a minute, so you did the qualifier for U.S. four ball by yourself. Oh yeah, and, had to try it. And and any luck? Oh yeah, well it was good for the first few holes. I birdied the first hole. I hit it like a foot, and I just started laughing because the guys in my group were like, "Are you really going to do this?" I'm like, "I don't know that that 15 year old in Hawaii did it. I'm I'm yeah. 40. Why can't I do it? You know?" And uh, then you know things went south. Doubled 18, and it was over. But yeah. it was fun trying because I mean, talk about a green light to just. Oh yeah. Go for everything. And uh it was kind of fun. I had a lot of five foot par putts coming back, so I wasn't leaving the first short and you know, had had thought I had my chances and it, but it was fun to try. I had to give it a shot. because um, once I get there, you know, if I had made it, you know, I'm bringing a secretariat on board with me. Yeah. Well, Garrett Rank, for people that don't know, Garrett Rank is a mid am um, you know, runner up in the twenty twelve US mid am. Uh, just won the Western Amateur this year. I can't even remember the last time a mid-am won that tournament. And he is, for for everyone that kind of follows amateur golf, and you ever you ever see an article pop up about an NHL referee, that's who that's Garrett Rank. So you're you're the jockey on top of secretary is what you're saying. That That's what I try. I mean, the funny thing about us, and, and going back to the first one everybody's asking, is how do you get – how does a guy from New Orleans – an old guy. And I think it was, uh, uh, Curtis strange or maybe it's Azinger that year on the telecast called me a, a grizzled old veteran and, uh, called Garrett, the chiseled young stud. Oh, wow. Uh, um, that's, just, that's just a, kick, of, that's just a kick in the dick, isn't it? Yeah. That, that burned a little bit being the old back guy with, with, with the hockey player. So, but I knew my role. I was there to, uh, try to make him laugh and try to birdie where I can, but make sure I make par and, we, we wanted to beat each other in every hole, and it became a, a fun thing to, you know, if he hits in there close, well, actually, I would probably be hitting first in the fairway because he's a mile longer than me, but if I'd hit it in there close, he'd want to hit it closer. And if you're outside the guy, boy, you want to drop the bomb. So right. Your part wins the hole. And, yeah, I'm getting a high five from my partner, but I'm also laughing like, ha-ha, that was mine. And it's, it was uh, that mentality between the two of us. Like I said, we're happy if our friends win. But sometimes it takes me a minute to get over the fact that I didn't win. And, you know, I'm going to text you the next day. I mean, I'm happy for you, but I'm also mad that I didn't accomplish it. And that's I, – I can't shake that uh, mentality. And But Garrett shares a similar thing, and we, we had a great run, uh, two unfortunate – trips in the semis where we had you know three and four at one point we had a six up lead at Wingfoot, and the kids birdied 10 out of the last 11 holes on us oh god uh, to come back and win um i think it yeah at pinehurst i had uh i had my back i threw my back out in, in stroke play and was limping around just doing everything i could to to try to salvage pars and birdies and uh garrett was playing well and we got buzzsaw on our last seven holes. Same thing. These guys just, you know, backs against the wall, came out strong, and we went extra holes and lost in the first extra. But uh, uh, 
I wouldn't trade those four ball memories. Uh, this is grind. I mean, it is a absolute grind for match play four ball golf, uh, especially at that at that level. Okay, so the U.S. four ball. Uh, you know, I've I've looked at basically all of these kids that that have won this thing recently. I know that Nathan mm-hmm. Smith, Todd White won the first one, but just you know, is this tournament basically just going to be, you know, if you look at the numbers, it's going to be dominated by high school and college kids, isn't it? I mean, that's what everybody thinks. And a lot of the players see the the caliber of college player coming in the rankings of some of the high school teams that are paired together, but mid-ams have, have certainly, I think have dominated the event. Um, if they're not winning, they're at least making it to the finals every year. It seems like, um, and it's, you know, we we have absolute confidence that we know what we can do, and we know that they don't know who we are, with the exception exception of you know Scott Harvey's, and and a couple other guys who are yeah. well known. But uh, you know, when when Garrett and I walk out on the range, they don't know us. They they see a couple old guys. You know, Garrett obviously looks different than most old guys, but it to them he's an old guy. He's in his thirties now, I think. Uh, I'm in my 40s. I've I've got a terrible back. I'm always limping and stretching and doing goofy things that old people do if I even hit balls that day. And and they're looking at us walking to the tee like, good, we got the old guys. You know, we'll cruise through who we play in the next round. And, right. You know, hold on a second. <laughs> we we know a little bit more. We we we're uh we're here. So usually sneak up on them, and we had a lot of success doing that. And and knowing Garrett actually said this. Uh, after he won the Western, we were talking and he's like, you know, walking up and down the range. Well, yeah, these guys know me, but they don't know what I can do. And we had that same mentality. Like they may have seen our names in a few mid-am leaderboards and a few U.S. mid-ams and stuff, but they have no idea what we're capable of. They just see old guys. And that helps us. That's an advantage because we know what we can do. We know what we know. And it, it, it worked out. You just have the confidence to do it and we beat them. Interesting. Um, and, you know, yeah, it is a certainly is becoming a, a younger, stronger man's game, but we've got a little more experience. And fortunately, we were able to rely on that for a while. And that's uh, that's why I keep playing in some of the events against college kids. I feel like maybe some experience will count for a few shots, but it doesn't help with yardage. That's the problem. You know, I've seen a lot of college players where if they don't have it that day, they they just kind of shut down a little bit. I mean, maybe yeah. not the elite level or maybe at the elite level that you're talking of, but it sounds to me that, that the mid-am is a little bit more capable of, of grinding out something and, and you know, really sticking to it as opposed to, like, you because know, you can't expect that you're going to have your, your A game every single no. day. I mean, it, there's a, you know, you never know what's going on in the mind of a mid-am is a, is a Skip Berkmeyer uh, famous quote. And, yeah, you may start off because you just got off a phone call trying to negotiate a contract in the parking lot and then you're, you know, 20 minutes to tee off. So your, your, your brain's not there you shoot 40 and then you pull off, you know, 30, 32 on the back. It's, it's just what mid ams have to do. Sometimes you got to scrap it and figure out how to, how to at least get it back to level as best you can. We've all done it. We've all birdied our last three holes or, you know, three out of the last four, something like that. So I know that that's sitting there, whether it happens or not that day, Sometimes it's out of my control, but if I turn at three and four over, you know, start over, maybe, maybe get it back. I know I can do it. I've done it before. I've turned them into under pound, under par rounds and 
you know, just got to pull back those experiences and, and try to try to do them again. Well, you mentioned, you know, obviously that you, you do have a day job. You mentioned real estate. Now I, and you're in new Orleans. So I, I mm-hmm. before I let you go, I, I want to get your take. I've, I don't think I've ever asked this question on the podcast. I've kind of stuck to things that happen on the golf course, as opposed to mm-hmm. the actual community around it. But you're a real estate agent. Talk to me about how sustainable the country club lifestyle is going to be in the next 10 to 20 years um country club lifestyle for me in the next 10 to 20 years no no no. i, I don't mean like you i'm talking about oh. like the idea of people in like that are in their 40s right now or 50s right now or even yeah. 30s like do you see people doing the you know buying the house or getting the the country club uh, membership and do you see that as something that's sustainable for the next 10 to 20 years it is a little scary. Um, you know, you look around a lot of these clubs and, and most of the members are older and their you know, average ages are like in their sixties, seventies. Yeah. Um, I look to the, our, my, I call it the mini generation, you know, the forties versus the thirties. It's a big deal. That 10 year difference in, 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 uh, you know, just how the marriages work. And it, it's scary that the younger generation, they're just not playing as much golf uh, both husband and wife are working. So once you have kids, you know, you, you definitely don't have time for golf depending on the job. Um, you know, it's a little doom and gloom, but I think it's always found a way to, to correct itself. And, you know, we're fortunate in New Orleans, we don't have a lot of golf. So where there is good golf, that's, you know, people put their focus there and make sure that it survives. And hopefully, you know, I love New Orleans country club. I've been out there since I was a little kid. So, we have a good outlook for it um, nationwide. Whew, that's a bigger question I can handle. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I thought I, I, I was just curious your thoughts because you're you're in yeah. that you're in that business and it is definitely a challenge. I know there's a lot of people listening that either have a membership or they're maybe thinking about one. And you know, what does golf yeah. look like in the next you know decade or two? It. Re- I think that we've had well, we've had so many courses that have shut down over the years, and and so memberships are kind of being consolidated to the better courses. So that is a, you know, back when I was in the golf business, it seems like there was a golf course going up every week somewhere um, back in the, the early two thousands. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, the, the slowdown of those being built and the, the resurrection of some of these older ones and the, the improvements is a, is a definite positive. Um, you know, just got to pony up a little extra, drive a, drive a, less uh provocative car and play <laughs> golf instead you know yeah, there you go nice yeah. that's a good idea um yeah. all right so talk to me about new orleans uh you've been there you're you're i'm you know been there for since you were a kid um yep. i i've been there a handful of times i know you're a i know you're a wine guy so there's gotta be a wine story when you've been maybe a little bit a couple too many glasses um you know one evening and then early morning tea time what is your best round of Ooh. golf hungover oh best round of golf hungover uh that has to be um actually that was a starkville story uh wasn't from new orleans but i learned how to drink while i grew up here um i had to have a underclassman tee my ball up for me on the range so i could hit five balls just so i could go to the range and the the pat uh the player's ability test is a test you had to pass in order to get your PGA certifications. Um, the year before I failed it, which was pretty embarrassing because I think you have to shoot 
you know, 77, 78 in two consecutive rounds and yeah. forced to set up easy. Um, but it's tough knowing the numbers there and tell you what, even got to the first tee, couldn't even get it on the tee. So I had to hit iron off, played, played the round of my life. I think I finished my last started out shooting 30 on the front, something like that. And finished with another one similar on my last nine. But uh, yeah, having somebody else tee your ball up for you so you can take a few practice swings is not my proudest moment, but it happens. Well, definitely that's, happens. That's still pretty good. Uh, Cafe Dumont in New Orleans. I'm sure it's okay. Tourist trap, or is it actually something that's worthwhile? Definitely a tourist trap because of the line, but it's worth doing if you can go. It's it's uh, they've got a couple of satellite shops around the city that uh, you not as bad of a line, but yeah, definitely a, a bag full of powdered sugar and some fried bread. And then a nice coffee to go with. You can't beat it. There you go. Yeah, I've had I've had more than my fair share of those. I think. I oh think, yeah. I think maybe six uh, in one sitting is kind of the most I've gotten to. That's a pretty good number. It's not a bad way to start. Yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> um, we're gonna get you out of here with uh, with fashion. Um, I know uh, you are a a big proponent and you're a big believer in the importance of uh, of white belts. Oh man. What a what an abomination of the fashion world. Okay, so there's nothing worse. All right, so when did when did your hatred of this start? Um, and and you know, so sell me on the fact of why nobody should wear a white belt anymore. I mean, it just where it started is, I guess, when I started playing uh, amateur again. You're, you're looking at all the guys doing it on tour. And it yeah, it kind of works for some of these guys, but then you go out to your local club and you see a a sixty year old with a body that doesn't support fashion and he's wearing the white belt now and then you know everybody had it, it just kind of jumped the shark so fast and it just became like this annoying thorn in my side that I'd see it all over the place and kind of associated with the young college player or the high school guy even even then. Um and I'd meet some of these kids at the tournaments. I'd get to know their parents and it became such a, such a shtick that even their parents were coming up apologizing that their son was wearing the belt that day. And I'll never forget playing the Jones cup, uh, one year and I'm two fairways over from a kid and he's lifting up his, this sweater. Cause you got to wear seven sweaters to play a tournament. Yeah. But he's lifted up his sweater just to show me his white belt, just so to get a rise out of me. Oh my gosh. And it, yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, I had that, I've had that stamped on my wedge for, I don't know how many years now, but yeah, the white belt, just let it die. Let it go. I mean, yeah. belt bottoms is, is the only next thing I could see coming back, but I'd rather see that than a white belt walking around. All right. So you've stated your case, you've made your, your, your case and your strong conviction known of, uh, of the abomination and the need you're, you're supporting the elimination of white belts. All right, yeah. so let me see if I can tear you down a little bit. Uh-oh. If I got you around on Augusta National, but you had to wear a white belt, Ooh. would you do Ooh. it? Wow. Um, yeah. See, be, see, see, yeah we, we get a little dirty here at the back so of the range. I'll, I'll say this. like We'll all throw out random bets throughout the year, and, and betting and golf you know, is, is a long-honored tradition. There's no but gambling there's one here. Thing, but there, uh, yeah, there's one thing I would never – ever agree to a bet on and that's as if i lose i'd have to wear a white belt okay so that's i would bet anything before that i just 
couldn't, I can't do it now. It's just become a thing. But for Augusta, I'm going to swallow my pride and I'll throw it on for a wow, little while. That was, that was quick. That was easy. Yeah. Um, all right. How about this one? If one of your two yeah. boys uh, makes a hole in one, but he's Ooh. wearing a white belt, are you going to be in the picture with him or is it just going to, I mean, are you going to ask, is the photo going to be from the, the waist up? What, I mean, what, what about that? First I'd have to call his mother and find out why she put him in that belt. Cause dad definitely didn't get him dressed that day. Okay. Um, secondly, I'll, I'll take the photo from the waist up. Okay. Right. But uh, yeah, I don't know. He's uh, they have to learn for themselves a little bit, but I'm going to, I'll push my influence when it comes to that. Definitely daddy influence there. Okay. All right. So, so you're going to sell your soul for Augusta, but with yeah. your kids, the hard stance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's good. All right. So the third <laughs> one I came up with is I'm going to give you a sponsor's exemption to the Zurich classic. It's the four ball Ooh. tournament on the PGA tour. You can take anyone you want there with you as your partner. You get to keep the cash for the week. You got a letter from the USGA that says, Hey, fine. Just one week only. You get a reprieve. You're going to keep your amateur status afterwards. You got to wear a white belt all week. Oh, I thought you were asking me who I'd take, and that's an even more dangerous question. But I don't know. It's a that's a lot of TV time to for people to see it, and that's a lot of that's a lot of flack. But to keep the money, if I get to pick my own partner, yeah. Money in Augusta go a long way. See, yeah, see, um, I, I knew I could. I, I knew I could break it. And I was going to yeah. say, you know, like, do you take Garrett? But if you take Garrett, he has to wear a referee jersey the whole time, and everyone thinks that you're on the clock the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I might go for somebody a little younger. You know, Gr's getting up there. He's got that gray hair. You know, there's some young guys out there that that looking for a shot. So we'll see what right. we'll see what happens. All right. Well, I will. We'll, we'll, I'll wait look, as soon as USJ sends me the letter. We'll go. We'll, we'll review the uh, the question again. <laughs> I'm not going to force you to pick someone, but yeah, let's. Uh, I, I really do appreciate you joining uh, joining this week here at the back of the range. Uh, I know that you're going to have a great 2020. Sounds like uh, someone's going to be lucky to have you as their U.S. four ball partner, and uh, <laughs> I know you got um, you know lots of tournaments on on the calendar. So I'm glad you're able to join us. Let's do it again soon. And uh, Patrick, thanks for joining me here at the back of the range. Again, thanks for having me. Um, letting people, you know, reminding them that I actually still play golf is always nice. So, oh, uh, <laughs> happy to do it anytime. I appreciate it and uh, look forward to hearing it. And there you have it. Special thanks to Patrick Kristovich for joining us this week. Thanks to the Louisiana Golf Association for helping put this together. Don't forget lgagolf.org. Get some information on them. Follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All the episodes, everything is available at thebackoftherange.com. So we'll see you again next week for another episode here at the Back of the Range.